told them the truth. He just said what I think he said. Is this it? This is what I got all those ass whoopings for. I had a dream once. It was a dream that little black boys and little black girls would drink from the river of prosperity, freed from the thirst of oppression. But lo and behold, some four decades later, what have I found but a bunch of trifling, shiftless, good-for-nothing niggers. And I know some of you don't want to hear me say that word. It's the ugliest word in the English language. But that's what I see now, niggers. And you don't want to be a nigger, because niggers are living contradictions. Niggers are full of unfulfilled ambitions. Niggas wax and wane. Niggas love to complain. Niggas love to hear themselves talk but hate to explain. Niggas love being another man's judge and jury. Niggas procrastinate until it's time to worry. Niggas love to be late. Niggas hate to hurry. Black entertainment television is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. Usher, Michael Jackson is not a genre of music. And now I'd like to talk about soul playing. I've seen what's around the corner. I've seen what's over the horizon. And I promise you, you niggas have nothing to celebrate. And no, I won't get there with you. I'm going to Canada. You're traveling to another radio show. A broadcast not only of sight and sound, but of mind, mind. A journey into the wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the imagination. imagination. That's the on-air sign up ahead. Your next stop, Afro Nerd Radio. With your guides, Dee Bird, Captain Kirk, and on Grindhouse Saturdays, the uncanny Daryl B. Mind expansion engaged. and direct per usual, except this time it's on a Monday. The COVID Chronicles continues, unfortunately. I am your host, D-Bert, a.k.a. The Afro Nerd. I operate this broadcast with the indefatigable Captain Kirk and oftentimes the uncanny Daryl B., but he is one of those essential workers that we're always talking about lately. So hopefully he can kind of nudge his way in 
if he's able to. You can nudge your way in, I think, far more easily. The call-in number is 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. Look, off the jump, a couple of things I want to say. First, um, well, look, we're going to talk a lot about COVID stuff, because that's just the way the reality is until things start to subside. And even then, I think things will forever be changed. Always give you anecdotal data as well as straight-up information, things that I've just noticed, my own personal observations. That's going to go on. Um, Jerome Adams, Surgeon General, he is under fire for some stereotypical tropes or language perceived, let me repeat that, perceived stereotypical tropes and or language. And just as I would, just as I thought, just as I thought, uh, my precog senses, I, I saw that there was an article written in the Atlantic about Surgeon General Jerome Adams. I said, it's got to be Dr. McWhorter. It's got to be Dr. McWhorter. I click on the link, just as I predicted. Dr. McWhorter, noted linguist, he has some things to say, and I, <laughs> I didn't have to really read the article because I kind of already know what our former guest, you can go back to the archives and simply Google jo- Dr. John McWhorter, um, Afro Nerd Radio, and you'll hear that, that uh, I guess more than maybe a decade ago or, or less, maybe seven or eight years ago, we did that interview, but I, I already kind of sort of figured out what he's going to, how he's going to weigh in on that subject. But we will unpack and wax about it. You two can join in. Uh, Disney's Bob Iger looks like he <laughs> presented his walking papers a bit too soon. I don't think he was able to predict a pandemic. And we'll just talk about other things, uh, IG battles. Uh, there's a lot to, get, lot to d- discuss, folks. So, okay, let's get into an herb alt Classic rock, classic R&B, we give you that funk, that fire, that conventional radio, corporate media absolutely refuses to play. They don't want you to be enlightened. Anyway, let's, let's get into, believe it or not, Rick James. Rick James. You know, I just realized right before we went on air, and I was listening to this cut, I said, you know what? Now I finally understand why Rick James and Prince did not get along. They were the same guy. Rick James and Prince were the same guy, that same maniacal um, hubris, that arrogance that I think many folk that are entertainers, especially uh, highly skilled entertainers, when you go out on stage, you really have to bring the noise. You've got to bring the funk and I think Rick James, they didn't get along because they, sometimes people who are too, whose personalities are too similar, they don't get along. So anyway, Rick James, classic funk, P-funk, or punk funk, pardon me. This is hard to get, hard to get. Let's get it in. We'll be right back.
something folks uh, I wish there was maybe one day we'll get into that but we're going to have to have a camera on us because I was boogieing in my seat as as the Sir Master Rick James is getting it in once again we forget that Rick James was a bad boy unto himself I gotta give you a double dose captain pardon me I gotta give you a double dose now uh, because the music and I say black pop specifically bothers me so as far as the current stream of it that I just don't see it having a lot of talent it causes me, of course, to look at the new stuff. There's the stuff that is new. I'm not into that ages thing. There's stuff that is new that we clearly know. Just They just don't play it. So I will play it, right? We will play it here. That's part of the mantra of Afro Radio. Um, but I often go into the archives, and I miss these gems. There's songs that I, I might have played from an album, the, the hits from an album. But when you revisit the album in its entirety, there were cuts that were still slamming that just even then did not get airplay. So what were we listening to so many years ago? You understand why they don't play it now. I'm going to give you a little bit of, of, the, of KRS-One. <laughs> BDP Productions, edutainment. Listen to edutainment. I might have to let this fly for the entirety of the song, Captain, because 
you understand this music was dangerous. That's why we're listening to Nog music today. This was rap literally 30 years ago. This is rap, 1990. I got to play. I got to explain it. You know me. I got to explain it. Bully Down Productions, KRS-One, Edutainment. Listen, listen large. We'll be right back. Double dose. Master Karis one with the mighty Boogie Down Productions Edutainment circa 1990. As I said before, folks, let me just get it. I don't, I'm a little too blathering and blistery and whatever. We'll get it in. Captain, you simply needed in on Rigel Four. They have, they need help over there. Rigel Four. Let's get it to it, sir.
COVID, 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 COVID-19, Bill Gates, Bill Gates, Dr. Fauci, Dr. Fauci, Dr. Fauci, Mario Cuomo, Mario Cuomo, Trump, Trump, Trump. Okay, I just did it. I just did a 20-minute diatribe. You're good now. Now let's start the show. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I, I think Dr. Fauci's days may be numbered. And if we haven't guessed it by now, that we have a megalomaniac in the office. And I, and I know there's a lot of folks that are conservative, and I appreciate the conservatism, as I am one. Or maybe I'm a, 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 a conservative that's thinking, <laughs> rethinking about the conservatism. But for the moment, I'm still, I'm still a conservative. But it doesn't mean I have to agree with everything that Trump does or anything that Trump does. Um, I look at him, and I've said this countless times, I've looked at, look at him kind of from a reverse way, that this is what it is. And we have to figure out a way, as African Americans, we have to figure out a way to to pivot to what he does. We have to figure out a way to pivot to what he does. And I don't know if we've made that. I don't know. I don't know if we've made that decision in our community. So, Dr. Fauci, leading immuno, immunologist, immunologist. Why can't I speak? Leading immunologist of maybe the way he's saying things. I mean, he's speaking very truthfully. I mean, right now, he's talking about dealing with the matters at hand with this COVID-19 pandemic. And if it goes against what Trump is about politically, off with his head, figuratively. So um, I know there's a tweet that went out, a tweet asking for the ouster of Dr. Fauci. And Trump liked it. We'll talk about that later, but that's a very dangerous ordeal that we, we could potentially see. But, folks, you need people that are competent to deal with a crisis, with crises like this. And does it really matter to Trump? Does it? Trump doesn't really care about you. I'm just saying. So, anyway. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is the umpteenth broadcast of the Afro Radio Machine, the Grindhouse on a Monday. Just to give, just to clue you in, I was speaking with uh, a gentleman for a, like three or damn near three hours, trying to get this system to work with the, the the new platform, and I'm going to have to try it again on Wednesday to try to get the mics to work. But it's a far superior system, sonically, and all those uh, tech issues that we crossing our fingers have off have had to deal with, oftentimes here at Blog Talk. And to be honest with you, we might still have to have a blog talk presence, not as lengthy, maybe an hour every other week or something just to play music. Because this new format, I don't think we'll be able to play music because of the copyright issues. Um, and there's going to be commercials on this other platform. So we, we'll be taking breaks. We'll, we'll figure it out. But right now, I'm just trying to get this system to work. And it's, uh, you know, these things kind of happen. I mean, we, we want to get past the problems early. So that when we do present you with this revised product, that it's far superior than the one that you're listening to now. So just giving you a heads up that we're still working on it, and hopefully Wednesday we'll figure out what the problem is. Uh, the problem is one specific problem with my mic, interacting with the mic. So uh, we'll figure it out because we have to. Um, also, just some, again, some observations with this COVID-19 thing. All of us are, many of us in the, all over the country all over the world are dealing with it in varying degrees uh i i do not wish this 
on our neighbors, on, on, our, on our enemies, <laughs> what's going on right now. In New York specifically, we are the epicenter of this madness, and still, Captain, still, Captain, dovetailing on what we discussed last show with what we're hearing about black folk, brown folk, poor folk, but black folk with more intensity, that this disease is affecting us tribally in very, very fatal ways. Black people, um, we're over-indexing with this disease. And uh, the term structural racism, structural racism comes up quite a bit to explain why this is afflicting black people. And Captain, after some video footage, again, this is anecdotal, I will, I will confess, maybe it is anecdotal. But some of the video footage I'm seeing, Captain, this has to be explained. It can't simply be structural racism. It just can't be. Our friend from the Chi-Town, Sergio Mims, noted uh, city asked, he uh, could probably talk about the ongoing gang violence, the gun violence that's going on. Really, the, the, the COVID-19 does not seem to be impeding the shootings and the death that is still occurring as if, it's, as if we're not in the middle of a pandemic. That is still going on. So obviously, the six-foot rule and social distancing, that's, that's, that's not preventing these nogs from shooting each other. Even our East Coast nogs <laughs> seem to be leveling off the nonsense because they realize that we've got to protect yourself, I think. But as I traverse to get food like everybody else to go to these supermarkets, I'm still seeing all manner, all strata of people, Captain, young white folk, older folks of varied, varied racial uh, demographics, not wearing anything. And they frighten me. <laughs> they frighten me. I have to circumvent these people. I don't. I don't get it. They're wearing masks. They're wearing a mask. If you're lucky, you might see them wearing a mask, but they have their, their naked hands picking up objects and food and, and opening up doors and pushing shopping carts. Naked hands, Captain. What is that? I'm seeing young, again, young white females uh, practically skipping through the aisles of supermarkets without a care in the world as if, as if they can't catch the monster. They can't catch the monster. I am almost head to toe covered up. And they're walking into these environments. They're clearly seeing people covered up. They don't feel like they have to. There's a young man, I believe in Philadelphia, that there's footage of this. And I think there are some folks that are trying to blame structural racism on this, that the the riders on this bus, of which he was a passenger on, they called the police. The police come in. They have to strong-arm this gentleman. Several, more than several, I think maybe four or five policemen had to, rather violent way, they had to pull this, pull this gentleman, in quotes, off the bus because the passengers noticed he did not have any protection on. So he was yanked off the bus. I think he should have been yanked off the bus. You're not, you're, you're, 
what are you doing? We have to stop. We have to start to have people, you know, upon entering a building or upon using certain places because of the because of the pandemic. If you don't have some kind of protection on, you can't come in here. Am I wrong? Was he wrong for being pulled off the bus? Let me let me say one other thing. Let me let me let me talk about the quagmire. This is a quagmire. So you had some gentlemen in Illinois. I don't know how far, but I think it's a suburb of Chicago, I believe. There's video footage of these two gentlemen, two black young men, entering a Walmart and then exiting, <laughs> grand, co- grand opening, grand closing. They're being escorted, in quotes, escorted by a police officer because uh, the police officer, see, he seems like he can't, I'm saying in quotes, he seems like he can't um, – he can't navigate the rules of the pandemic versus their normal policy of folks not being able to go into an establishment with a mask. Now, I can understand when it's not a pandemic, maybe you can't wear a mask for fear of robbery or, or, or discomfort. But this is a pandemic, and medically and legally, you are entitled to wear a mask. But these two gentlemen had it on video that they were being accosted out of the store because they did not, they had masks, a mask on, uh, in spite of the pandemic. The, the police officer didn't know that. So let's get let's 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 get it, let's get into the quagmire, Captain, and then I'll, I'll I'll allow you to to have the the mic. You can have the mic, of course. So we have black folks that are angry because you have a gentleman that did not have a mask on or any protection. He didn't have it on. He was pulled off the, pulled off the bus. These gentlemen had the mask on. They were kicked out. This is a quagmire, isn't it? And, um, and in both cases, there are going to be a set of structural racism apologists or, or propagators, structural racism for everything. Some things, maybe even many things, but not everything. This is a quagmire. You're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Your thoughts, Captain? Well, what I've noticed, I looked at the buses. I looked at the buses like last week. I didn't have anything to do. I went out there and I looked at the, I looked at about an hour. I looked at who was getting on the buses. Cause, you know, you don't enter through the front anymore here in New York City. You enter through the back. And they lock off the front to keep distance from the bus driver. So I was watching. Uh, so people were getting on, a lot of masks, a lot of gloves, scarves and gloves. That was there also. But a lot of young people, it seemed like the younger people, people in their 20s, that's younger, they didn't seem to really get get it fully. I've seen it sporadically within the young people. The older people, whether they believe it or not, they seem like they just threw it on. Whole thing with the mask is, if you cough, that's really what you protected. You're not gonna spray it out. Like I seen one model, which was from a computer designer and a doctor. They put this model out that's actually 12 to 18 feet. And for strong cough, I can see, I can see that. I didn't really argue with that. But when you have a mask on, you protect yourself and others. Because if you cough, you understand. 
It's not going to spray out all there. It's actually somewhat held in. It'll be like localized. So if you have the distance, at least six feet, it's not going to hit anybody. And the way this virus is, you might not have symptoms, so you don't know if you're really sick. You don't necessarily have to cough. But let's say if you even just do a little clear your throat. Sometimes you drink things, and then your throat is a little, ah, 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 and you do that, all that too. Mass is going to stop all of that. So I'm seeing the mass go go rather, you know, go up. But the young people still don't get it. They, they still don't get it. Also, too, what I've been seeing is a lot of, New York has a lot of people, essential workers, so to speak. I was talking to one guy. He said he does maintenance in the city. I said, so what do you do all day? He said, all I got to do is go there and open up the building, and I'm gone. He says, a 10-hour shift. He said, and I'm gone. There's nobody there. But I just got to go in the building. I walk around. If it's messed up, which it shouldn't be, he cleans it up. He said, that's his day, Monday through Friday. I see a lot of nurses going to work. I didn't know there were so many nurses. You know, now, as far as the, the quagmire or the person on the bus, he needed to be, you know. But there are some people on the bus that's not really situated. They are getting on the bus here in New York City that are not dressed for the situation. There are some of you like that. But most of the people are dressed for the situation. And are taking it serious. I would say by 80% of you, you know, if I had to make a number. That's just the situation right now in New York City. So we got, I'm still watching it. It's real, it's real interesting. It's a bit fascinating. As I said before, and I've been saying for a long time, if you don't move, this economy is not going to make any money. And I also said that you are government, not the other way around. You see, that's why the NSA watches you. That's why you also have a passport. Let's go deeper with it, though. You understand? If you don't move, the economy doesn't move. The energy of the people create the economy. That's what you see happening right now. If someone flips a switch and say, you don't go to work across the whole world, the whole planet, how long before we die? <laughs> how long before, let me change that, how long before the GDP the, worst wealth, uh, the world's wealth dies. You have to move. You have to do something. Energy is converted. They convert it into money. That's what's happening right before you. So you learn that through this right here. You see? That's why sometimes when I talk, I know you don't understand me. But you got to see it with this. Now you understand that. But you also need to understand, you are government, not the other way around. All right? The government needs you. Without people... The government can't be government. So ultimately, the people are government. So as I would say, walk good, be safe. We get out of this, and then we come back next year, and it'll be worse. Back over to you, Africa. Yeah, and just to kind of um, to kind of go back into my thoughts about what I was getting to before, you know, with cer- certain folks specifically, and unfortunately, younger people of color, there's video imagery, video footage of, I think this might have been some kind of uh, project area. I couldn't tell. It might have been Texas. I, I don't think you think it was Texas, but it was someplace where, where it was clearly the COVID virus has some, some prominence. And the video imagery showed a whole community of young black folks. A, no one was wearing a mask. Everyone was outside. Everyone was interacting. It was, as if, it was as if 
the COVID-19 issue wasn't real to them. So to simply say that black folks have all these pre-existing, pre-existing conditions, which, which is true, that's one part of it. But the other part of it is even if you have these conditions, you still have to catch it. So what is, it, what is going on with the messaging where all these young people are interacting and they're kind of clowning around, goofing off, just a whole legion, a whole community where the police are trying to disrupt some of this stuff, but they, they, they don't seem to have a care in the world as if this isn't a pandemic. That's, that, that's not happening. And then there was something else. I was uncomfortable even tweeting this out, but I, I had to tweet this out to show the gravity of the situation. Um, it's not really funny. <laughs> it's not really funny, Captain, but I don't know if you saw this tweet, but it was on a New York City subway, and there were uh, passengers that were clearly were clearly covered up. They had the masks. They had the they they had the gloves on. They were in a corner. It, it, it looked, Captain. It literally looked like The Walking Dead in real time, because the zombies were twerking and tweaking on the subway. Some of the zombies zombies were naked. <laughs> Or damn near naked. I'll get to my point on that. And the the folks with common sense that were covered up were literally backed into a corner in fright. Because specifically it was a, a morbidly obese, perhaps drug-addled black woman dancing to, to a Biggie Smalls song. On the subway, some fully clothed fool with... No mask or anything, so he might as well be naked too, somewhat. But he he was he had clothes on, but he's dead dancing, like it's some kind of some kind of party in Hades. And I mean, again, this this woman had no top on, and and just just not a pleasant scene. I you know drug a drug haze. I don't know what that is, but clearly. The folks saw this as not as something to be comical, that that was comedy. They were in fright on the other side of the train that these people were going to, were going to do what they're going to do. They don't, they don't care. They don't care. They, they, don't, they, they don't realize it's a pandemic. They're just going to party like it's 1999, obviously. So these, these are the things that I think disrupt the notion of it's, it's just a matter of poor black people and structural racism. I don't think that's the that's not the full deal. You have a set of folks that their their ignorance, and this has been my point since the inception of After Radio, that where the the notion of victimization comes in is we cannot blame everything on racism when you clearly see there are people out there that are not playing by by the the same rules and don't and don't necessarily have the same mental power. To, to clearly see what's going on. They don't have it, and they just have to suffer. And, and, and if you're lucky, and if you are smart, and you have some, some cognitive ability, if you have that, you need, to steer, you need to steer clear out of even being in the vicinity of these people. That's what's going on. You might have to do some kind of um, metaphysical quarantine, even when we get beyond COVID-19. 
even when we get beyond COVID-19, Captain, you might have to do some kind of metaphysical quarantine to get away from these nogs. Anyway, uh, let's go to a groove. We have more time. You two can join in on the discourse. This is Monday's Grindhouse, at least for the moment. The call-in number is 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. All right, so I'm going to play a James Brown song. But it's James Brown covering Spinning Wheel. Spinning Wheel. I'll talk more about that in a minute. This is the first instrumental. We'll be right back. Again, that was the mighty James Brown, Godfather of Soul, the JBs covering blood, sweat, and tears, spinning wheel. All right, so uh, we're back. The call-in number is 646-915-9620, 646-915-9620. So, you know, right before we went on air, uh, I see that um, your predecessor, Mr. Starks, a.k.a. Iron Man, was 
feverishly trying to get in touch with me because um, I'm just learning. I mean, <laughs> this seems to be a, a nightly thing, but uh, especially in the wake of this COVID crises, Captain, did you hear about – I mean, this is, I don't know if this is news, but it appears to be news. Donald Trump having a meltdown at a press conference concer- considering uh, – concerning, pardon me, concerning the COVID deal? Like he had a literal meltdown. Yeah, I heard about it, but I didn't see it. You know, so I don't know at this given point. I heard about it, but I didn't see it. I probably, yeah, if, when, I, if it's him, I could probably find it online. Mm-hmm. Well, it is trending. If you simply hashtag Trump meltdown, is trending, and I and I can't really listen to it. Um, this is one of the one of the things that will change if we get this new system operating. That at will. I can whatever is is on my page. I can the, the audience can listen to it. So that's going to be uh, a different experience. Being able to like like in our conversation, I could just look it up and then just play it without having to download anything. So that's something. This is why it's important if people you know if our if our um, listenership bears with us that you know we're going to have some advancement when it comes down to the next iteration of Afternoon Radio. Anyway, um, I haven't seen this thing, but what they're saying is that there were two female reporters that were uh, questioning his handling of the of the COVID situation and he evoked or invoked some kind of presidential power that doesn't exist like he used the term total authority and you know you don't have you as the president you're not you're not little Kim in North Korea you can't do what he does but he thinks he can so it's, it is kind of strange. You have a, you have a, a guy that's, uh, that's you know, he's, he's, he's out of his league. But I, I, need, to, I need to see how he acted. But it, they're calling it a Trump meltdown. But, you know, we're almost four years in now. So I, I don't see why this is um, unusual necessarily. It's, uh, it's someone's, and they're, not, they're actually going into a quote that Hillary Clinton made, I guess, some time ago. This is a quote from Hillary. She says, a man who can be provoked by a tweet, should not have his fingers anywhere near the nuclear clo- nuclear codes. Hillary Clinton. Well, that's your president. I'll leave it at that, but I find it interesting that that's what's going on. All right, let's, let's move forward. Um, so, I'm hearing, once again, that China has a problem with black people. <laughs> Africans, specifically. Let me play this clip. I'm hearing that uh, you know they're obviously getting over, getting trying to get past this their own COVID crisis. It started in the Wuhan markets of China, and they're trying to prevent a second wave, which we've talked about in the show as well. That you know once these numbers start to tear downward, there's always the fear that, which is something that I guess this press conference was about, Captain. This this need to go back into business, bring people back in. You do this when you're not quite out of the clear, and then you have a second wave, but a potentially worse wave. And it would be it would be unconscionable to have another more prolific wave of death because you decided or he decides to open up the, the country for business prematurely. In China, they have a similar issue, but this time – some of the foreigners coming into China are of African descent, 
where there's there's there's, cl- there's no clear confirmation that these Africans, many of them are students and business owners. These these are these are pe- black people of note. Many of them are black people of note, students and the whole nine. Um, because they're black, we've got to segregate. We've got to take. We've got to pull them out of apartments. So there's like a 1960s style thing going on in China with black black uh, Africans going going over there, and uh, even even in an establishment, can I speak? Even in an establishment like McDonald's, they have signs telling you know we can't allow black people, we can't service black people here. Bluntly, so let me play this clip. And then we'll wax about this, but there needs to be a global outcry admonishment that this is not allowed in the 21st century. Anyway, this is um, CNN. I believe it's CNN discussing this this uh, notion, or Russia Today maybe, RT. Africans in China. Hold on. China has reported its highest number of new coronavirus cases in almost six weeks. Authorities say 108 people were infected over the past day, mostly travelers returning from abroad. While that number is low, it's adding to concerns of a possible second wave of cases. Sarah Clark joins us now live from Hong Kong. So uh, quite a, a rise in the number of cases. Does this start to draw some proof to the fears of, well, a second wave? Well, certainly this is a concern that China has. Uh, we're looking at the second wave of infection, particularly uh, where this area is or the cluster of the 108 cases. It's in the northeast of China in a province called Heilongjiang. Uh, and most of these cases came from that particular city. And as a result, uh, we've had tough new measures put in place uh, in the capital of that particular province known as Harbin. Uh, stay-at-home measures, people being told to stay indoors, as well as the city that borders Russia. Now, all of these travellers, or most of these travellers uh, in this latest cluster of the infections were coming back over the border from Russia uh, back into mainland China. Now, as a result, all gatherings have been banned, uh, train services have been stopped, and the health checks will now be mandatory uh, for all people coming in from Russia. Now, this is a, a mandatory uh, coronavirus testing as well as a 28-day quarantine uh, as a result. Now, as you mentioned, 108 new cases, that's up from 99, but this is where the new battleground is, or certainly the northeast of China is where uh, the government authorities will be targeting. Now, we have been seeing a downward trend of the coronavirus infections in China, and some would suggest uh, it's in a recovery mode, but there have been questions about the calculations and the accuracy, as well as the accounting methods uh, being used on the figures coming out of China. The World Health Organization applauded uh, China's efforts to detect uh, the coronavirus outbreak early, but other countries like the UK and the US have questioned the figures. Uh, uh, Donald Trump questioned whether or not the death tally was actually on the light side. Now, looking at the uh, the current figures at the moment, the death tally is 3,343, and the cases of the uh, coronavirus infection in China is 83,000. 134 cases. So that's certainly low when you compare it uh, to the likes of the United States and Europe. Now, the issue of uh, the treatment of Africans in China causing some new diplomatic sparks to fly, right? 
Yeah, we saw a number of reports on social media over the weekend from members of the African community living uh, in the city of Guangzhou. This is in the south of China. And their claims were of mistreatment, uh, being evicted from their homes, uh, also being denied access to restaurants and hotels. And we had some students saying uh, they were being denied food and now living on the streets. And that they're suggesting that they're now being targeted and that they're a community of suspicion and they're being accused of spreading the virus in Guangzhou. Now, background to this, uh, the African community in Guangzhou came under scrutiny after we had the claims that a number of them ignored some quarantine restrictions in that city. And on Thursday last week, we had 114 new cases confirmed of the coronavirus in Guangzhou, and 16 were Africans, and a group of them were Nigerians linked to a particular restaurant. Now, several African nations have now responded to these claims of mistreatment. That's the likes of Ghana, Nigeria, Kenya, and Zimbabwe, and they've demanded China act on these claims. Now, on Monday, we've had a response from China. They've said they've denied the mistreatment. They said, basically, there's been no discrimination against their African brothers, and they said they have a zero tolerance for racial discrimination against the African community in that city. Now, this statement was made by the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. It was also backed up uh, by the Mayor of Guangzhou on Monday. All right, Sarah Clark there. Thanks so much. All right. Uh, again, folks, you're listening to The Grindhouse on a Monday, 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. Um, very disturbing news. You know, I, I'm always talking about uh, anti-blackness, even when it's amongst our own. I mean, there's a, a level of anti-blackness all around us, really. And uh, I guess in China, you know, in, in Asia, in, in a very famous uh, way, we, we're, it's, not, it's not unknown that dark skin is, is a negative in, in many parts of Asia where you have the, the – even among Asians themselves – there are lightning creams, and in India they, they're, they're promoting lightning creams, just as in Africa, and some of the caricatures of black people. And there was a recent, uh, about a year ago, two years ago, there was a recent art exhibit in, in China where they showed black pictures of black people juxtaposed with animals. It's a, a complete, a, an entire art exhibit to this. So I'm not really shocked that you have... African again, these are African people. African people of note, you know, students, business owners, business leaders, all kinds of all kinds of people of African African descent in China. And now you're hearing these stories about, for whatever reason, I don't I don't know why they're paying the price for the COVID when the COVID purportedly originates from from Wuhan, the Wuhan markets in China. This is this is a, of Chinese origin. So I don't know why Africans coming in, they're the problem. What are your thoughts, Captain? Well, first, let's realize this. No one really likes anybody. And, you know, by the way it works is that most people are clicky, then they're tribal, then they're downright racist. And most racist to black people. People like black people the least. All right? Even black people, as you said, have problems at times at times, even a lot of times, with their own black. You can see the self-hatred with black people going on across the world. And in this country, they never said, well, you need to have racial acceptance. Accept the Indian person. Accept the Chinese person. There's white people doing these laws. Remember that. They said racial tolerance. All right? And that's what they tell you. That should tell you everything, even about this country. If Chinese people like black, how come they didn't come over here 
when we were getting lynched on a regular basis and stopped the Americans from doing it. To show up on a beach, 30,000 troops, we're here to stop, you know, lynching of the black men. People would say, oh, maybe, you know, America would go to war with China over that. No, they won't. No, they wouldn't. Federal government, the government is not going to go to war for no black people. All right, stop it. Maybe if it was white people, but not no black people. Now, the reason why China would never do anything like that, because you're not Chinese. If Chinese people were here was getting lynched, believe you, they may even have went to war for that. Federal government would have to have stopped the lynching. Federal governments didn't intervene when you started getting lynched. Now they left it to the states. Some states were better than others and other things like that. Left it to the states. Trust me, if Chinese were getting lynched, federal government, it would have been a nationwide thing because it would have been on and popping. China would have probably lost the war, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, but it would have been on. So when it comes to, like, black people worldwide, even like China, I mean, not China, Africa, they say they have, because China's taken over Africa in certain places, no-go zones. You can't go here after hours. You don't hear much about it because you guys look at Wikipedia, you know what I'm saying, MSNBC, Fox News, CNN, that's how you get your information flow. You see, I'm a little different, though. So you're not going to hear too much about it, but they do have it happening in um, Africa, where they have uh, sundown laws, certain hours, black people, after certain hours, you can't be here because you're dangerous to Chinese people. China taking over, coming with their money, automatically feels they're more important. In a way, I can see that, but at the same time, you need the land. So how are you going to be more important if I'm on the land? See what I'm saying? So... Going further with this now. Now, I was in, intertwined with the Asian community for 15 years. About, was it? Yeah, about 15 years. Been by their house, hung out. They realized he's a black man, but Kirk is cool as a black man to move among us. Saw a lot of things. Like if they're arguing with someone black, seven of them, seven Chinese will just show up because he's a black guy. Because they know a, black, a typical black guy is going to be stronger, more ferocious, you know, more violent than they would, would get. So they got to make sure we have enough to take them, even though they never get, the black guy never went that way. But that's their thinking. I remember one incident, one incident, there was a bunch of Asian people trying to do some math. And a guy who was, uh, what is he, what is he, um, electrical engineer, he asked me about this math problem, and I was able to do it. And he was like, how the hell are you able to do that? Because none of the, the other Asians couldn't do it. He was like, how the hell are you able to do that, man? You black. And he was a cool Asian guy. That's what he said to me. I just laughed. I said, you black. You're not supposed to be able to do that. I said, yeah. <laughs> I had to laugh, man. I remember the whole incident. It was about, uh, what was it, about seven of them with him. That's one, right, it was eight. He knew how to do it. But I said, yeah, this is such a, his answer, boom. He was like, yo, you black. How you know how to do it? I had to laugh. And he's thinking that way because coming from his country, he hasn't experienced, all right? He hasn't really experienced other type of black people. Like one black girl told, not black girl, a uh, Chinese girl told me this. She said, you look different from uh, the other black people that I went to school with. So uh, they darker. That's what she said. They darker. You must be mixed. <laughs> you different. You talk different, too. You different. 
So you see, that's what it is a lot of times with these Asian folks. But he's not your friend. Asians are not your friends. It's like white people for most part, even though a lot of times you do. Sometimes they are. Sometimes they are. Don't get twisted. Sometimes they are. But most of the time, they're not your friend, man. It's a tolerance thing. They tell you what it is. It's not like they lie to you, man, especially in this country, man. They tell you racial tolerance. They don't tell you racial acceptance. They don't play that. I got to accept the Indian guy because he's Indian. I got to accept the Spanish guy because he's Spanish. I got to accept the Mexican guy because he's Mexican. I got to accept the black guy who's who's a black guy who may have different ways sometimes. I got to accept the Jamaican for being Jamaican. They don't tell you that. They say, we got to tolerate you. It's a big difference, man. Look it up in the dictionary. You'll see. Big difference, big difference, big difference. So, yeah, you know, that's what it is with black people. All right? In Africa, look out. If these Chinese get their way, they're going to eliminate you off the continent, boy, <laughs> and take over. You know, China and Russia for Africa, baby, at least the top half. Back over to you, Africa. Yeah, you know, uh, I guess my thoughts, Captain, really are I, I, I'm a little disturbed with us. Like, I, I understand what you're saying, and I'm not even disagreeing with you with, with the notion of tolerance. Um, I also know it's tolerance versus tribalism. And tribalism, unfortunately, as a, as a faction of primitivism. I mean, to, to me, to me, all of this is just kind of primitive nature. And, and it, it's disturbing because I take, I take in some of the stuff internally trying to understand how people can conduct themselves in the 21st century in such a primitive manner. So for, for all of the, the justified, justified progress that China has made technologically, scholastically, uh, you know, I think of Amy Chua, the great Amy, uh, Dr. Amy Chua, Yale professor, and her book, The Tiger Mom, and she had a subsequent, a subsequent book that actually actually deracialized the notion of different races really really being more intellectual than others. She, what she really was saying in the second book, and the name of the book evades me, but that second book was more about culture. She spoke about um, black immigrants, the Caribbeans, uh, Africans, uh, uh, Cubans. Uh, Ashkenazi Jews, like all the all these different ethnic groups, not race, ethnic groups, cross racially, that because of the cultural standards they were able to progress. So I I appreciated her scholarship in that regard. But when it comes down to the notion of race and and just indiscriminately, for instance, someone thinking it because because of you being a black person, you're just like every other black person. It's not, this is not a Star Trek episode. It's one of the things that disturbed me about Star Trek is that if you notice about Star Trek, especially the original series, especially the 60s original series, as progressive as Star Trek was, when it came down to otherworldly depictions of race, the entire planet looked exactly the same. Like when you, if you go to planet to to a black planet, you're not going to see all black people looking exactly the same. There's going to be uh, expected variations because you're dealing with you're dealing with sentient beings. You're dealing with you're dealing with humans, but one can expect there's going to be variation. But when you, but because of kind of the truncated mindset of the producers, 
not, not to take anything away from Roddenberry, but if you saw, uh, like, the Balkans, all the Balkans up until, really, Tuvok, I'm getting into, into you know, real nerd speak here, the, I, they, didn't, they couldn't think that they, that there would be a, a black Vulcan. But, of course, there would be a black Vulcan if the Vulcans are analogous to humans. Just as humans have variations, so would Vulcans. So would any other race. So, but in real time, as we're talking now, a Chinese person or some Chinese people in China, I should say, for them to approach you with the notion of, well, why, why aren't you acting like all the other black people or what I perceive black people to act like? It's crazy. It is crazy. I mean, and again, it's not just, it's not just um, uh, Asian people or Chinese people in this particular conversation. Uh, I might have mentioned, mentioned this on air. I worked for a company going quite some, some time ago, maybe a decade ago, and I worked for this company. And, and actually, this has happened to me a, a few times, and it would always kind of throw me off guard, Captain. Like, now I think I would have a better reaction to some of this stuff. But it's happened to me quite a few times in my life where you have a conversation with someone. In this instance, it would, it, it would be a white person. And because they feel comfortable around you, they say some out-of-pocket things under the guise of being innocent. One woman I work with, she made a comment about me saying um, – she was, she was asking me a question about another black person in like, you know, I think she was in, in, uh, in like a secretarial position, like a secretarial staff position. So she's in a secretarial staff position, and this person was lowercase Negro, Captain. <laughs> See, I could talk this way because I'm talking about my own people. That's another thing. So if you know the tribe, you could talk about the tribe. So because this person was lowercase Negro and had certain ghettoisms, she comes to me and says, Desmond, you speak so well. How come so-and-so doesn't speak – how come so-and-so doesn't speak like you? I'm like, what? And I, and I, got, I went into a nerd speak and tried to, you know, well, you know, different how I, how I am on air. Well, you know, it's because of the socioeconomic, blah, blah, blah. I said, I said, maybe I should have answered it like, well, because my name's Desmond and her, and, and her name is Judy, or whatever the, the woman's name was. But it, and, I could have, and I should have responded and said, well, uh, I noticed that there's a person, a white person, I think she might have even been like Irish, Irish, Italian or something. There's another Irish, Italian person. That person acts quite noggish himself. How come he doesn't act like you? See, I mean, the, 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 the knee-jerk answer, and this is my own fault, the knee-jerk response would have been because I am me and that person is that person. So I've seen, and I, and I've, I, I met another, it was another person in the same company, again, that comfort thing. Uh, she said to me, she, she spoke to me, and she said something like, uh, you know, you're cool. See, I, I would have you over my house. I was like, I said, okay. And she said, yeah, I, I could see you dating my daughter. It's like, okay. That's funny, baby. You know, I've, 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 got, I've got that a few times. I can see, I can see you dating my daughter. You know, you know, you know, 
You got that city Portier thing going on. You know, you're okay. You're not one of the rest of those nogs. You're, you're okay. I'm like, well, how does your daughter's how does your daughter's feet? How are they working? How do they look? I'll give you a better I'll give you a better response. But these are these are, the, and I'm just saying, wow, they they really look at us as like the same person. Uh, I'll say one more story, and I think I might have mentioned this before. Um, I worked for a rather large insurance company, AIG, one of, at the time before the before the infamy, uh, <laughs> AIG, going back some time. And I left. Actually, I wish I my 401k would have been would have been mm, if I stuck with that company. But that's another thing. But anyway, so I was there. And I I left the company, Um, and when I went I went back to visit, and you know I knew I I, you know I was cracking jokes and you know all kinds of stuff. Me too was allowed back then, (laughs) Captain. (laughs) I mean, what I'm saying is is that uh, I don't I don't know what the Me Too thing because everything was very consensual back then because some of the things that these women were doing, they should be caught up. They should be brought. They should be brought. But you know what I'm saying? I came in. After it, after the dark, I would tell you the reverse. The things that that they were doing could be considered sexual harassment. That they were doing. But I digress. So I come back to visit. You responsible for anything that you did before 2000. Was it me? Was it me? (laughs) (laughs) Believe it or not. So I I, I come. I come back. And um, I get hugs and everything, and I was, like, kind of taken aback, like, wow, these people. And they were like, um, I wish you could come back here. You should come back here. Uh, the guy that, that you replaced, he doesn't speak as well as you. He doesn't dress as well as you. He's not funny. And then, and then some, and then some uh, a, a, a person I consider a friend, white guy, he says to me, um, what does he say? He says, uh, Oh, he's a he's a disgrace to your race, and then he starts giggling because he knew what he said was out of pocket. But I'm like, so I said to him, so there's so you mean to tell me there's no dysfunctional white people working here? Really, Joe? Whatever his name was, whatever. Really, Joe? Like because in other words, because I set a certain standard. If a black person comes in after me and doesn't fulfill my standard, then therefore all black people like. Why isn't that person like you? Like, all black people must be the same. Like, anything that dismantles the notion that black people are not the same causes some kind of dysfunction in them. Like, that, that black person that came in after me had the right to succeed and or fail on their own merit. But that's not how black people are actually treated in real time. And you see, to bring it back home, this is exactly what happens in China. And, 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 and the, I think there needs to be and this is this is our failing. There needs to be more um, more of an intention on on black people. This is why I really I really really have a problem with black people not being able to call out on other, on other black people and kind of pra- kind of sort of practice a kind of respectability politics. Being a united front when these overt examples of disrespect go down, there needs to be a united response to this. This is when we truly, if there's going to be tribalism, which we don't see to practice properly, everybody else, this is what you said, Captain, everybody else, regrettably, seems to be able to practice tribalism to their benefit. We do not practice tribalism, in my estimation, to our benefit the way it's supposed to go down. 
We just don't. I don't feel uh, distinct or necessarily different than the Nigerian gentleman. I still consider him metaphysically as my brother. So I felt something when I hear Africans being mistreated in, in China. As a collective, black people should have, the, the Africans in this country and, and the outer diaspora, there should be an appropriate response when people are claiming the COVID or, or, or being able to treat you inappropriately just because. And in the 21st century, you have signs in, in, in McDonald's, China's McDonald's, saying we can't serve black people here. There's got to be a response to that. There's got to be a response to that. But because we're so just out of it, like, I mean, my, just black people right now are just out of it. And we're so, um, we've been acclimated to disrespect. Our music disrespects us. 8 a.m., it's, you know, it's purple drink, purple drink and kush, 8 o'clock in the morning. There's no way you could explain that. You go to a white station, you're not really hearing that kind of dysfunctionalism on wax. But it's okay for you, though. It's okay for you. When, um, what's the gentleman from Def Jam, Captain? That gentleman's name. Ah, what am I thinking of his name? He was on a breakfast club about a year ago. Okay. And he, he said, so I can't, a, a gentleman of Jewish descent. No, very oh, arrogant. Lior Cohen. Lior yeah, Cohen. Lior. Yeah, Lior Cohen. Lior. Or Lior. <laughs> some, would call yeah. him a li- some would call him a Lior. Lior Cohen, when confronted by Charlemagne about uh, drug-addled music, the musicians, rappers being drug-addled, and their promotion of, of being um, high, you know, of being a – of being um, – being on drugs, that promotion of it. When he said, well, "Do you think it's right? Like, why are you making? Why are you kind of promoting or allowing or or distributing this kind of music?" And he said, "Well, you know, I got a family to feed. I got a family to feed. Oh, really? But when Michael Jackson used the pejorative, the K word pejorative for Jewish people, and I think he used it in context. He actually used it in context to make a point." He still was not allowed to utter the word. Michael Jackson was told was Michael Jackson, the biggest star in the world, was told you can't use that word. However, it's okay for some for others to use the words to, to allow the business of of quote unquote nigger business, quote unquote nigger business on wax for the last thirty years. That's okay though. So you see, it's that conundrum with black people, and I'm I'm tying it in to to what's going on. Globally, if we don't get a handle on the on being comfortable or being conditioned to be disrespectful unto ourselves, then it's easy to kind of let this thing with 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 these African folk. It's easy easy for that to kind of just be another day. A lot a lot of our problem, unfortunately, Captain, deals with our our own internal conditioning. We've got to be able to dismantle the conditioning of disrespect and and kind of a low grade thing with us. We, we're accepting of this, this behavior with ourselves that when something happens from, from some other tribe, we have no response. We have no response. It's all good. That's where we're at. Anyway, enough of that. Folks, this is the Grindhouse Monday edition. 
unfortunately, as I said before, we're still kind of in transition. I was working on the tech the technical aspect of the show with this new format and we're having some issues if it does work i'm telling you the sound will be far superior far superior than what you're dealing with right now but uh on wednesday i'm supposed to go go at it again with this gentleman who um with his operation i was on on the really on my computer with him for three hours and we got close but there's one little thing we got to figure out and then we should be able to go forward so it, it could be a matter of days that once this thing is resolved We'll be at this new format, and of course, we'll, we'll tell you the link, and you know, we'll set, set up everything where you'll be, you'll be able to know when and where to hear us. Um, anyway, so let's let's go to a groove. You know, I'm always I'm always playing music, and I got to decide how to do that too because there's going to be commercials on this next format, uh, and a clock and a time. You know, when it's time to cut to a commercial, we got to do it. Uh, but I might we might still have an Afro nerd presence, just like really just for the music because of the copyright issues at this new format. And I still want to be able to disseminate urban alternative music, black rock, psychedelic soul, classic grooves. I want to be able to disseminate this music that the corporate elites refuse to allow black people with that disrespect I talked about. I want to be able to, to get it out of my system. <laughs> so um, let's go to a group. When we come back, I actually want to – I don't want to talk about COVID all the time. I want to talk about these IG battles. I find it interesting that in the middle of a quarantine, these things happen. There's a new thing, new thing kind of afoot that I, I, I find interesting. The fact that you do see people, these artists that are, that, that are um, facing off playfully in a very respectful way. And I dig it. You know, the idea of RZA, Wu-Tang's RZA versus DJ Premier, classic Classic hip hop producers, like that's an even match. Like I actually, that I was digging, digging on IG. Uh, I believe on the 18th, and there's a little bit of controversy. I got to get into that too. I'm a, I'm a big Teddy Riley fan. I'm a big Babyface fan. Baby fat, Babyface was a little, mm, little suspect. <laughs> not understanding, not making the, not making the COVID, the COVID um, capitulation, not doing the COVID kind of. Contour. Babyface is a little, I'll get into it, but there's supposed to be a Babyface versus Teddy Riley on IG. So I think that there's a lot of things going on artistically on Instagram that I think are kind of cool. So let's go to this groove. When we come back, we'll discuss it. Gil Scott Heron. Gil Scott Heron, one of my favorite artists. This is Angel Dust. Angel Dust. We'll be right back. Let's groove. Listen, 
Once again, pulling up the phaser, that was legendary artist Gil Scott, Gil Scott Heron, Angel Dust. This is the Grindhouse, folks. If you ever guessed it, let me um, mention something real quick before we get into this IG battle phenomenon that's occurring during this quarantine crisis. Uh, uh, with a heavy heart, you know, it's the real-life in-game, Captain. It's a real-life in-game where you, you see a person one day, and the, ne- the next day they're just not here. This COVID-19 issue, we can talk about, you know, influencer perhaps being in the numbers more of, of a more grave nature. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know when the numbers actually wash out how this will work out. I just know I haven't really encountered someone personally that has died from influenza, not quite like how this is going. So we're hearing all kinds of people, especially notables, succumbing to COVID. So um, just to kind of set this up. A few years back, I was fortunate enough to be a guest when, when we were talking about blogging. I was called in for uh, WBLS's open line. Actually, I think at the time it was, it was uh, 98.7. I think this was pre, pre-WBLS. So anyway, open lines are very well-known uh, local New York radio show. And James and Tume, you know, James and Tume, the uh, uh, legendary musician, Juicy Fruit, also the director of uh, New York Undercover, the music director. I met him personally. Um, Bob Slade, all of those legendary New York voices. I actually was, I actually met these people. So um, there was a gentleman that's been on the show almost as a regular. I mean, to, to like I think a week ago or two weeks ago. I just heard the I just heard the gentleman on the show sounding like in fine health, maybe two or three weeks ago. Uh, the Fruit of Islam regional minister, Abdul Hafiz Muhammad, 
Abdul Hafiz Muhammad passes at 56 from coronavirus. Uh, this gentleman was a, was a local voice, well known out of out of Harlem's Mosque Number Seven. That's uh, that's of course is it, well, you know who the Mosque, mosque Number Seven is. So um, why am I losing? I'm having a brain fart. Uh, Malcolm X. Wow, Malcolm X is a famed Mosque Number Seven. He's out of that. So to hear that this gentleman passed after just hearing him, we just heard the guy on there. And we're hearing more and more people like this that are relatively young, here one day, not here the next day. So, again, with a heavy heart, uh, Mr. Muhammad, not in the building. And uh, right before, as I said at the top of the show, right before we went on air, there are other local people that are leaving the scene. So, I don't know if we could actually afford to have a second wave in this country. In New York, no less. So um, my thoughts are with this gentleman. You know, he was, he was a very uh, insightful voice on that program. Wow. All right, so let's get into this deal that I, I've been noticing, Captain. I, I don't know if you've, been, if you've been aware of these IG battles, I guess, because um, folks are slow to understanding. Some people are slow. Some are slow. Hint, hint, baby face. Are slow, are slow to understanding that. Because of the of the coronavirus, the way that business business is going to be conducted with events, and I'm I'm the guy, and 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 you and even especially the uncanny Daryl B. We we promote New York Comic Con. We promote the Black Comic Book Festival in Harlem. We promote Afropunk. I don't know if those festivals are going to be going on in the next year or two. I'm pretty sure this year those festivals are proper. Uh, yeah, but just just the way the, the the normalcy in the handshake is probably a dead thing. Just being able, you know, giving the soul, giving the soul brother hug. I'm a, I'm a soul brother soul brother hugger. People that I respect and and I kind of sort of know, give you the soul brother hug. Can't do that anymore. <laughs> you know, we can't do that without it, without a thought. Yeah, that's that's the way it is. No handshakes, no soul brother hugs, none of that. So, um, so anyway, because of these things, um, we're seeing these IG battles. Now, Babyface got into uh, Kenny, Kenny Edmonds, noted musician. He, he wanted money when, it was, when this was first proposed. Because right now, again, we're in the middle of a quarantine. And these battles are, are occurring really just for for the fans, for public spectacle, maybe for IG, social media credentials. It's, it's not that serious. It's mostly just for fun. It's kind of like a real-life what if. what if. What if Black Panther battled Captain America? Black Panther would win. But anyway, <laughs> so <laughs> baby, baby, baby Face was wanted money, and then when people called him out, like, well, you know, this isn't really that kind of platform for money. Then he falls back and says something about, "Oh well, my family and I are." He says, "My family, we're we're getting over the COVID." So in a, in a matter of a few days, he goes into, "I need money, my bad," <laughs> as they say colloquially. I uh, I have COVID. Then turns right around and says, "Oh, guess what? We've all 
persevered from the COVID. We've, we, we've, we resolved our COVID issues. So now I have to look at Babyface with a, with a side eye. Now I have to say, well, what, what, really? So I, that's unfortunate because I always liked Babyface's imagery. I like what he represented, and I, I appreciate his, ta- his skill set. So anyway, in spite of this quote-unquote COVID issue he's had, and now that he's seen the light that maybe it might be a better look for you to do this just because of humanity's sake, just for fun, Babyface versus Teddy Riley is supposed to take place, I believe, on the 18th. I definitely am interested in that because both these two gentlemen, really, the, 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 the highlight of their careers was in the late 80s, early 90s. They're multi-instrumentalists. I would say this is a pretty fair, pretty fair, and also they, they've had a number of hits, back-to-back hits at or about the same time. So to see these guys to go back and forth, back and forth on IG for fun, I'm digging that. Now, a few days ago, they had RZA, the producer, famed producer, also uh, uh, martial arts aficionado, blurred, uh, friend of Quentin Tarantino. He, he battled playfully DJ Premier, notab- notable producer in his own right, and both are also around the same, around the same time as being integral to the classic hip-hop period, that early 90s period. And that they, also, they also, even though they have two different distinct sonic imprints, they're distinct. I mean, you definitely know what a, what, what a RZA production sounds like, and you definitely know what a DJ Premier production sounds like. But their vast array of hits and the fact that they coexisted at the same time in popularity during that classic hip-hop period, it makes for a very entertaining standoff. And I also like the fact that having seen it on IG a few days ago, they were very, very cordial, very respectful. It wasn't any kind of, these are grown men. So this this wasn't some nonsense. So it was really more of a love fest, to be honest with you, because both of them were digging songs. There was a few songs that, that really were not released from artists and also their hits. So to see these two gentlemen go back and forth with equal admiration for each other, that's the side of hip-hop that I would like to see. Um, there's also an interview that I would implore the listenership to check out that's on YouTube right now with Long Island's, Long Island's finest, Chuck D., Charles Rittenauer, Chuck D. interviewing Rakim Allah. That was also a love fest. <laughs> That was, you know, these are grown men. So you're going to get information. Rakim has a new book that's out right now, Captain. So some of these things are happening that... I got the, um, I got the book. I, I'm going to get the book. I'm going to definitely get the book. And I got to get Morris Day's book also. I mean, there's, there's a lot of... There's a lot to do. I mean, while, while we have this time to to reflect in the, in the middle of this really uh, bad thing, there might be some good. We've got We've got to hope that some good comes out of it and i think with people having the time we might actually get some art out of it uh before that you had timberland versus switch beats and even then and even then i even appreciated their matchup and there was mutual respect it was it was just fun but it's going beyond 
just the hip hop thing, but you have R and B, Babyface, Ted Riley, and I suspect you're going to see other genres of music getting up on this. Now, interestingly enough, Captain, this is where I got into face off with someone on Twitter. Someone had said, "Well, you know, now that we're living through this thing, too bad." Michael Jackson and Prince have expired because maybe they too, which that would have never happened. It, may, it might have taken a pandemic for those two to be able to do some kind of face-off, but I don't think, just like Black Panther would best Captain America, Prince would best Michael Jackson. <laughs> That's just my opinion. IMO, my opinion. When I got into it, well, we're, we're talking about it. it, it would be Music. Well, you know what? Mm. Prince has a lot of hits, man. Not, like, not just not him now. Michael Jackson, man. Not as big as Michael Jackson, baby. I don't know. You might say Prince's music is is um better. You could say that, but Michael Jackson, you gotta remember, look how much that off the wall album stole. You see what I'm saying? So automatically he's gonna have more hits. Michael Jackson. Hmm. You gotta remember that. Well, look criteria is because if you're talking about the the amount of music like see we we got into a discussion less about less about um sales and more about the gravity of the music itself okay that's different and you know and and again if it's if it's just going to be like a going through memory lane let's let's be fair even if I go if I were to agree with you you're still talking about a lot of music as far as a catalog. Catalog versus catalog. I mean, it's catalog versus catalog versus uh, with popular music. MJ versus Prince. I still say it would be a contest. I still say you have When Doves Cry versus Beat It. You know what I mean? It's, it's no kind of... No comparison. You know you're biased anyway. No comparison to that. Beat It is much bigger. So you got to uh, take away what you said originally. Take that away, popularity. Michael Jackson has bigger hits than everybody. Take that popularity away. Just say feeling far as music is better, all right? Then maybe Prince might blow him away from that standpoint. But if you try to put song against song, far as hit against hit, no, Michael Jackson is bigger. This is what it is. Well, everybody knows that. Well, let's put it, let's put it this way. The, the conversation wasn't really about, uh, and even the person I was discussing this with, they, it really wasn't even about sales, because if you're getting into a discussion of musicianship, and this is where this person was kind of not was being disingenuous, when we were going back and forth, and they were saying they were saying things like, "Now, let me tell you how the, how some of these people move the goalposts," and even to you, I would I would even in our discussion now, I I suspect you would agree with me. When we were talking, he would say things like, "Well." He would he would he would belittle Quincy Jones' involvement with Michael Jackson. He said, "Well, what did Quincy Jones do? What albums? You know, what what did who did who did Quincy Jones work with that counted beyond Michael Jackson? Something something to that effect." The person said, that, "You know, in other words, Prince had better music. Prince had better music. It's simple." Well, that's not what music I'm saying. That's not in this in this instance. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is when they when they were using Quincy Jones. As, as a kind of like okay, Quincy Jones, Quincy Jones was responsible for Thriller and Off the Wall, and anything beyond that, as far as Quincy Jones is concerned, you know, 
what, did, what has Quincy Jones done? That kind of attitude. And then I said, I said okay, hold on. I got to slow your roll. Quincy Jones, is, I believe, might even have the record for the most Grammy wins. Either Quincy Jones or Henry Mancini, something like that. But even beyond that, Quincy Jones has literally worked with everybody in show business. Like everybody. Like, you know, when you, uh, Miles Davis, Ray Charles, Sarah Vaughn, Dinah Washington. I mean, it, that's just off, that's just off rip. That's just off rip. Frank Sinatra. So Michael Jackson is just one of a hundred artists that this guy has, he, he's worked with the, the very best. So to say that, so so when I had that discussion, okay, you don't you you got to be able to have some degree of musical information to have this discussion. And then when I said to this person, Michael Jackson was a great performer. He was, he was an interstellar performer. I would give you that, but he was not a musician the way Michael uh, the way that Prince was. Uh, Prince was a producer, arranger, um, int- instrumentalist, multi instrumentalist. Like, all of that. Like, Prince could make you a song from scratch by himself. Michael Jackson had to go to a Quincy Jones or a Teddy Riley to, the, to make a record. He couldn't make a record the way Prince could just go into the studio and come up with something. Get on the piano and hammer out, hammer out the basics of a song structure. No. It's just, it's just, it's just, it's just, there's no, they really should not be compared. That was really my point. It's really unfair to compare the two because someone like David Bowie versus Prince, um, Elton John versus Prince, Stevie Wonder versus Prince, something like that would probably be a more fair comparison as far as someone who, like, no one's produced these people. Now, Michael Jack, no one, who, no one's ever produced Prince, but Elton Michael John Jackson had to <laughs> say, say it again. Elton John is crazy, but like, go ahead. exactly. Elton John, Bruce Springsteen, like those kind of musicians, you'd have a better go at it. You know, Duke Ellington even, someone like that, you'd have a better – people who are composers, really. Michael Jackson wasn't a composer. It's not taking anything away from him, but, I mean, you've got to be able to match up people according to their skill set. So, someone like Prince who could actually dance with his instrument. And this is a real musical conversation, but uh, the ability for someone – to dance, like to, to sing, to, to physically sing, to move around with verve, to, to do that, to, like to do two or three things at the same time that we look at, like that's like an easy thing. We take for granted that Prince is jumping around and playing like a chord structure and dancing and singing. I understand this. To dance and sing and play an instrument at the same time is a whole different stratosphere the great bb king the great bb king could not could not sing and play his play if you look at it this is known and bb king is probably what the great one of the greatest if not the greatest blues performer blues musician and even he could not sing and play the guitar at the same time you had to he had to think about that prince could do dance and sing and play the guitar without thinking about it. <laughs> okay? So 
Michael Jackson is not in that same conversation. That's what I was. That's what I was really trying to say. If you're going to do a true matchup, I don't think Michael Jackson will come out. Depending on what the criteria you use. Now, if it's going to be pop, you know, pop stuff, sales, you know, uh, Vanilla Ice let sold me, a lot of records. Well, let me finish this let point. But Vanilla Ice sold a lot of records. Is he respected? Is he? You know, he he sold a lot of music. Okay, fine. Not the same. It's not the same discussion. Go ahead, Captain. Why do you you now always put Prince against Michael Jackson if they should not be battling you? That's what you do. You the one that brings that up. Why well, do you do it? Well, look, I'm never the person that brings it up as far as as a subject. Like I mean, what I'm saying is, it's it's always the public always puts those two together. Like people who think on us, I have to capitulate somewhat to the public that there's there's an insistence on putting these two together. Okay, it's when I always say first I entertain it, then I deconstruct it. But I'm never going to be the one that like demands that there's a that there's a uh, a conversation about it. If there is a conversation about it, and then, then let it be a fair one. If you must compare the two, I think at the end of the day. They really are incomparable. Like they really are two different, two different types of performers, musicians. It's not a fair matchup to me, based on based on concrete criteria. Now, the, many people, unfortunately, they look at it at a very surface level situation. Both of them came. Both of them had their the, the height of their popularity during the eighties. Both of them. Both of them were black from the middle from the Midwest. Midwest black, same age, same androgyny paradigm. So if you look at it surface level, you know, I mean, just blow out superstars, you know, global superstars. That that's why they did it. That's why they compared the two. If you go below the surface and say, okay, this guy plays twenty something instruments. He he produces. He arranges. He 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 writes. Um, he dances. He does music score. He does movie scores. You know, they, they really, you start breaking it down, it's not really a comfortable matchup. It really isn't. But if you're going to say, well, Michael Jackson sold more records, well, okay. A lot of well, people sold records. Shows, from my point of view, I was never really a fan of both of them, to tell you the truth. I'm at the same level. I was never really a fan of Michael Jackson. Once in a while, he he get a good hit. Same thing with Prince. I was never really a fan, but once in a while, you know, he gets some, you know, 1999 and, and about maybe one other. I would say, yeah, this is a good record. But, you know, I was never really a fan of neither one of them, too. Neither one of those two. But they there. They were big. They were there. They're just in the sphere. You know, that's how I feel about it. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, uh, look, I, again, it's, it's, it's perchance to dream. <laughs> that these two would ever I mean they, they you know there's there's all kinds of um kinds of rumors that these two uh collaborated or at least had some kind of exchange like they they did know each other and and they did have some kind you know who knows the it, who knows if the rivalry was was real and some of the stuff is so built up and beyond their control that these two might not have even had you know I think there was some kind of mutual respect on some level you know, I, I heard those kind of things, um, but I also I also heard. I mean, look, the, the the one time those two actually appeared together on stage, 
It's on YouTube. You know about this, right, Captain? It's pretty well known. I don't think if I've seen it. <laughs> Not offhand. Okay. You may want to look at this one. <laughs> okay. This was 1983. It was 80, 83. I think it was 83. 82 or 83. And it it was a James Brown concert. Now, you understand what, what that means. James Brown was performing. Prince and Michael Jackson were in the audience at the same time. Michael Jackson, he calls up Michael Jackson to do his thing, right? Then a few few minutes later, Prince comes up and does his thing. So it was, it was kind of a spectacle. That's the first and only time in the archives that those two were in the same building on the same stage. And it's, it's, it goes down in infamy and I would, I, you could, it's, it's going to be on YouTube forever. Just simply put in Prince Michael Jackson, James Brown, and you will see it. And, um, it's a matter of opinion. Who is the better artist even then? Cause both were at the height of their powers. You know, uh, I'm biased. I will confess I'm biased about it, but it's it's definitely worthy of it's 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 something to see. It's something to see. But there's stories I heard a story that uh what song was it? I think it was wow, I had to I can't remember the name of the song, but it was I, I think it was I don't know, I can't remember the name of the song. But it was it was a song that Michael Jackson did and allegedly Prince did it over his way and sent it to Michael Jackson. Like Michael Jackson had his song, and then Prince said, "You know what? This is how I would do it." And I, I, who knows if that's even in the vault somewhere? I hope that's in the vault. That might be something that's like people are saving as like the gold standard of some kind of Michael Jackson thing. Uh, and also, and also in live concerts, Prince would do one or two Michael Jackson songs. Like, like he would never really sing it though. That's another thing. That goes to tell you something. He would never really sing the Michael Jackson song. He'd have his his, you know, his his um his band perform a Michael Jackson song, but he would never necessarily perform it himself, not really. So there might have been something there. But the kind of money, I'm pretty sure that they were approached to do some kind of double, you know, concert. I mean, that would have blown out. People would have still been talking about a concert like that. And I don't understand. It's it goes to wonder why they never why they never uh like some promoter didn't try to push that Michael Jackson Prince, like a Michael Jackson Prince concert would have been interesting. I, like, again, I think differently about it, but you, you better believe as far as money and, and, and people wanting to see something like that. I'm shocked that it, that they didn't, that they didn't pursue that. I really am. Uh, Captain, did you see the, is the, is the, did the clock stop? Is this clock still going? Yeah, forty-five. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I had to reboot it. <laughs> okay. It showed like fifty minutes or something. <laughs> All right. All right. So um, I'm going to take another break, folks. This is the Grindhouse on a Monday, for the moment. Anyway, you two can join in six four six nine one five nine six two zero. Again, six four six nine one five ninety six twenty. More COVID talk. More uh, Bob Iger talk. You know, actually, you know, even before we talk about Disney and COVID. Um, to this movie that's on yeah, you oh, yeah. on Netflix, and I shouted out one of the actors, uh, Robbie Amell, 
and he shot at me back. And I kind of th- I kind of thought that he would, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, code eight, code mm. eight, and I, you know, look, I have a lot of distractions. I mean, we 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 uh, had the holidays, and I was able to uh, even beyond uh, my own work and doing things for the show and and trying to get this new program going. Uh, I still find it difficult to see uh, some programs, but I did eke out some time. I didn't finish the whole program, but I saw maybe 45 minutes of it, and I was I was thoroughly impressed. Thoroughly I impressed. That was alley. <laughs> I figured that. Yeah. So uh, the the audience has to has to be up on this thing. Uh, Stephen Amell, Green Arrows, Stephen Amell, his cousin, aka Firestorm, Robbie Amell. Uh, I, I don't. Well, they played together before, but this is something outside of the CW. Of the CW. And I was um, pleasantly surprised that okay, this is this is legit. This is legit. Even the CGI, I, I wasn't. I, I was. Uh, it was pretty well rounded for a Canadian production. So I'm gonna. I want to get back into that. I want you to kind of um, talk about it. And um, let the audience know to check out Code 8 on Netflix. Anyway, this is a classic right here, and we'll come back. This is George Clinton. Do fries go at that shake? (laughs) Do fries go at that shake? We'll be right back. Oh, 
dropping butter on your musket. Drinking it up, I add some meat to your stuffing. If you're feeling all right, you can flaunt it all night. Looking way nice, put your body trunk tight. Side to side, it's the video got me picturing. Just like a chunky, got to play the finger licking. Eggs over easy, you know how I like it. Bacon light brown, so I don't have to bite it. Every last curve, got a mark label preserved. Brothers waiting in line, cause they wanna get served. Now go and just tell me, straight for goodness sake. Mm-mm, do fries go with that shirt? Oh, he said the damn thing. Last night when he was running game, he said, baby, can I catch your cake? Oh, can I have it my way? Don't I deserve a break today? Them buns, I like the way you bake. You know, that groove is so infectious. I want to let it ride. Once again, that was a mighty George Clinton. Do fries go with that shake? And this is the Grindhouse people on a Monday, believe it or not. I'm your host, D-Bert, a.k.a. The Afternerd. I'm conducting the show with the mighty Captain Kirk. The call-in number is 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. So before the break, we were talking about Movies. I think we're going to talk about some streaming options while you're while you're under quarantine. And the captain sent me a tweet and I believe a text on this Code Eight film, Canadian sci-fi thriller that's now being shown, currently being shown on Netflix. And there's a good, quite a few things I was getting into. And I said, okay, I trust the captain's judgment. So I said, okay, if he's touting it, it's got to be something to it. So. I'm into it for a few minutes. I said, oh, okay. I'm into this thing. I, actually, I got so into it that I had to tweet the actors personally and Robbie Amell, uh, Stephen Amell's cousin. Again, Stephen Amell is the actor who I think for seven seasons was uh, Arrow on the CW. And even Robbie, Robbie Amell, his cousin, performed on the show or in that universe as Firestorm, the first Firestorm character. Um, that was Mr. the other Mr. Amell. So he uh, retweeted you know, my response, loved, liked the response that I, I basically said, look, this is intelligent science fiction. Uh, it's it's um, not goofy. It's not campy. It's straight sci-fi. And it, it kind of sort of has that, that feel of where we are now, zeitgeist, zeitgeist feel, like the way we're dealing with these uh, quarantine circumstances, Code 8 fits right in with the zeitgeist. So, Captain, tell us a little bit about your impressions of Code 8, and uh, I'll chime in. Your thoughts, sir? Well, here's the thing. Right now, you're sitting home. You may be doing much because you're working from home. You might not be. Chances are you're not. You're not. You're just laying there. You don't know what to do. And you may not necessarily want to look into reruns that much. It gets tired. I was rerunning on elementary, 
had to take a break, man. I said, all right, we got to stop for a while. Doing a lot of that. Revisiting all the seasons and everything. Now, also, too, some of you might be starving for, like, a superhero, superpowers type of vibe right now, too. Because, you know, what we, we've gotten used to that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, superheroes, and then every 12 weeks there's a, a notable superhero movie. That's the vibe we've gotten to. Right now that's slowed down, unless you're going to look at rerun. So, so here's something fresh. New, now I started looking at it. I said, you know what? This should be up Afternoon's Alley right about now. It's also up Downs Alley right about now. So it's called Code 8 on the Netflix. I'm not going to tell you too much of what's going on. I think Afternoon mentioned a few of the prominent actors. I'll go as far as that. I think it's worth checking out. You get to see some powers. You get to see some robots get to see some flying machines. It's interesting from that perspective. You understand? And it's all, it just says, after it says up to snuff, doesn't look too campy or anything like that. It's decent. It's right now. None of that 90s look. <laughs> it's right now. And it's on Netflix. And a lot of you do have Netflix already. So it's worth checking out. You don't have to do any, you know, stretching or anything. Just bring up your Netflix account that you, a lot of you probably already have. So check it out, and then maybe in a couple of weeks you have more of a discussion about code eight. Back over to you, afternoon. Yeah, just to just to um, provide a little bit of more uh, information on code eight again. It's a Canadian production, uh, sci-fi sci-fi thriller. I believe there was a short a short film that this full-length film was based on. So the short film came out in sixteen, and then of course in nineteen is when this film came out. And it's it's interesting that uh, both Amels have embraced this sci-fi genre. You know, one might you know one would think, you know, oftentimes an actor will get get a gig, and then not necessarily embrace the genre. Oftentimes they you know they'll they'll get the gig because it's work, and then they will go off to do something else. In this case, it's still in the same under the same umbrella. Uh, it still deals with the supernatural. It deals with science fiction and so forth. But it's done in a very serious way. Um, essentially, it's another dystopic issue where it's this this universe, this world, where um, super having abilities is not uh, hidden. You know, it's 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 uh, it actually dovetails into Marvel Comics Civil War. You know, if, we, if you remember the Civil War where you had to register your powers, they had they had to know you had these abilities. So in this world, uh, at one time, having these abilities was a favorite thing. Uh, whereas you had people that had, you know, whether they were super strong, super fast, you know, could move things uh, telekinetic, telekinetically. Uh, you know, imagine mutants walking around being needed, and then the machines come in, and the machines do the work that the superpower could do. So once the machines come in, we don't need you anymore. So these superpowered people really become pariahs, and they end up having to. Uh, they're, they're, you can tell they're likened, likened to how we see certain disenfranchised groups. They're, they're not desired, and they're, they're they're being picked up. There's an a, an analogy to let's say day workers, 
where you know they're, they're at a uh, imagine and you've seen this in many of these major cities where you see people um, from south of the border potentially um, who are waiting at a Home Depot to do to do work. Well, this, that same thing is going on with these people with powers. Whatever you're, if you have electrical powers, we, we need you for X, Y, and Z. If you're super strong, we need you. I mean, literally, it's it, it's akin to that kind of that kind of deal. And um, it's really how they survive with these powers, kind of in an authoritarian authoritarian police state, where you have uh, androids walking around, machines are there to regulate these superpowered people if they ever get out of line. And and it, it it's the the CGI is is respectable. You know, it's it's not uh it, it looks good. It looks good and and the acting is well done. Um I noticed uh there's a young lady that's in Locking Key. Locking Key is a a comic book. I think an I think image image comic book that has translated to uh, Netflix. They just finished out their first season. That's also, if you haven't seen that, you might want to check out Lock and Key. The villain in Lock and Key, uh, the actress Laza de Oliveira, the lovely actress Laza de Oliveira, I recognized her in this thing. So these people are making the rounds. Check out Code 8, as, and as the captain said, we might dig in a bit deeper uh, once I get a chance to actually see the whole thing in its entirety, but the, the first 45 minutes I really was into. I really dug it. All right. Um, let's get it, let's get into this deal, Kat. I'm going to play this clip. Oh, you know what? I'm sorry. Before I play this clip, gonna, I want to actually talk about um, the Surgeon General Jerome, De- Jerome Adams. But before we talk about that, uh, one more streaming show that I, per usual, I find out about these things at the last minute, like, Three years too late. Um, there's a show called The Good Fight. Have you heard about this show, Captain? The Good Fight on CBS All Access? Yes, sir. I heard about it. Have you seen any of the programs? I any of the shows? Not watched, I have not watched any of the programs. All right. So... Again, we have time, some of us. You know, I'm trying to eke out some of this programming. And uh, it's a spinoff of The Good Wife. The Good Wife, I vaguely know about. I, maybe that's something I need to, need to check out as well. But The Good Wife was a pretty popular program on CBS. And then they were able to create this spinoff called The Good Fight, this time on CBS's streaming platform. Now, obviously, I'm more familiar with CBS All Access because of Star Trek, Star Trek, Picard, uh, Star Trek Discovery, Twilight Zone, anything of a supernatural sci-fi uh, fantasy orient orientation. I'm probably going to be more in tune with on that pl- on that platform. So I somehow missed the good fight. The good fight is interesting, and I think more people need to be put – more black folks especially should be pushing this thing because of several reasons. One, you have actors in this thing. You have great actors. Audra McDonald, Mc, uh, McDonald, Audra McDonald who was a, um, a notable 
Wall, um, Broadway actress or actor. She has a prominent role in this thing. Um, it's, it's, it takes place in Chicago, Captain. And again, it, uh, season four, season four <laughs> just popped off. So I was able to catch up, and I, I uh, saw all, through, all three seasons. Season four, episode one, just finished like last week. So I went through all three seasons, uh, going between 10 and 13 episodes per season. And you have Delroy Lindo, notable actor of color. Delroy Lindo is one of the stars in this thing. Christine Baranski is in it. Uh, lovely actress Kush Jumbo is an actress of color is in it. Uh, Michael Boatman, who's been around for quite some time, he's in it. So it's about it takes place in Chicago and it's essentially about a predominantly black law firm. So you see, it's, it has, it has comical overtones, but it's comedy slashed in with serious serious uh, commentary. And it also is all, all centered around people's reactions to Trump being president. So Trump, almost in real time, is a character on this program centered around a black law firm in Chicago. So you, you start to you, – you see how um, this law firm is very shrewd, uh, a lot of cogitation. You have a, a black conservative, a black conservative character on there, which is Michael Boatman plays that character. Um, it tries to be, it tries to be balanced. I say in quotes. It tries to be balanced, but it really is. Trump is insane. Uh, so the, the 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 Trump issue is one corner of an issue, and then there's other things going on internally with be, being a black law firm on the, trying to trying to fight, trying to fight for. Uh, legitimacy and prominence in an overwhelmingly white landscape with other light, other uh, white um, law firms. But to see an all-black law firm portrayed in cinema, I don't know if we've ever seen that. And I don't, I don't know why aren't more black people talking about that. Like, like when we talk about the need to see alternative black perspectives. What does it mean to see an all-black law firm in action in Chicago? And actually, uh, the law firm is known for dealing with corporate situations, but they're also known for dealing with uh, police brutality cases and, and garnering large settlements to the chagrin of Chicago PD. So when you factor in – let me repeat this. So I, I want the audience to understand clearly why this is an important show. You got, Bo, you got uh, Delroy Lindo on this thing. You know, again, top flight actors. Delroy Lindo, you got Audra McDonald, Michael Boatman, um, Chicago, black law firm, corporate stuff, racial uh, stereotypes are fighting against stereotypes. People acting weird, having to interact with well-heeled, well-spoken, competent black people. All those, all that innuendo, all that's being shown in this film. I mean, in this in this series. So I'm I'm, I'm thankful that there seems to be some degree of popularity. That uh, we've gone through. We're, we're approaching the fourth season, but I still think the good fight should be more in 
more of the topic of conversation considering it's a legal drama that's focused on a predominantly black law firm. What are your thoughts about that, Captain? The fact that you know, we when 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 um our stalwart supporter Q Storm talks about black folks fighting villains in space, you know, he wants to see and I understand that implicitly. Seeing fighting Thanos in space is his tagline. Well, this is kind of another similar thing. Fighting fighting the good fight legally as a black law firm of high esteem showing black intellect. Four seasons. No one's really talking about it though. Not to my satisfaction. What are your thoughts? It's too real for black folks. You know, that's that's doable. So I'm not gonna watch it. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Well, what Q Star was talking about, he's talking about that fantasy stuff, which we get a lot from fantasy, all right? And maybe someday it becomes reality. Becoming a lawyer and doing a uh, black law form and et cetera, et cetera, that's, that's very real. That's doable. So it should, you're, you're absolutely right, 100%. We should be talking about it more and what's going on pertaining to that. But maybe people don't know a lot about it because it's, I heard about it, but I haven't been pushed to go watch it. Um, now, now, I gave you one with Code 8. Now I got to go watch this. You know, understand? That's just what it is. You know, that's just what it is, man. Back over to you, Apple. Yeah, um, I'm curious as to what you may think about it because it's it's not otherworldly like what we're accustomed to seeing. But I have to admit, I liked. I really got into it. And the fact that it's political political commentary, and yes, it's definitely got a liberal, we got to get Trump um, aspect to it. But at the same time, it also, to be fair, it also shows that that the, that the liberals in their quest to go after Trump, as crazy as as he is, in quotes, as crazy as he is, you're becoming crazy like him to deal with him. So, so to see these people, you know, kind of contort to this this new reality as a black law firm is pretty interesting. It's pretty interesting, and they they show clips of Trump, and they they even have like faux Trump people, like they have a, an appearance by Melania Trump. I'll leave it at that. Does that. It's not really Melania, but you're led to believe it is Melania Trump. It's like little things going on that. That feel like it's a re- it's like it's a real thing. It's a real thing. So I really appreciate the good the good fight season four on CBS All Access. All right. So uh, okay, let's 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 go into this. Let's transition. We got about twenty minutes remaining. I want to talk about the 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 uproar that the Surgeon General Jerome Adams mm. has allegedly caused. Because of the language that he used in giving advice, zeroing in on you have folks. A clip? Well, we, I have a clip. I want to play that clip. Yeah. And, and and look, he's addressing people of color, color specifically because of the metrics, right? That's what he's doing. But there's a problem. He didn't speak the way that some folks would like him to speak. So. I'll leave it up to the audience to make that determination. Here's a clip of the Surgeon General discussing black folk and COVID. In New York City, uh, Hispanics uh, represent the majority of deaths 
In Milwaukee County, blacks are 25% of the population, but almost 50% of the cases and 75% of the deaths. So what's going on? Well, it's alarming, but it's not surprising that people of color have a greater burden of chronic health conditions. African Americans and Native Americans, <clears throat> excuse me, develop high blood pressure at much younger ages. It's less likely to be under control and does greater harm to their organs. Puerto Ricans have higher rates of asthma, and black boys are three times as likely to die of asthma as their white counterparts. As a matter of fact, I've been carrying around an inhaler in my pocket for 40 years out of fear of having a fatal asthma attack. And I hope that showing you this inhaler shows little kids with asthma all across the country that they can grow up to be Surgeon General one day. The chronic burden of medical ills is likely to make people of color especially less resilient to the ravages of COVID-19, and it's possibly, in fact, likely uh, that the burden of social ills is also contributing. But let me be crystal clear. We do not think people of color are biologically or genetically predisposed to get COVID-19. There is nothing inherently wrong with you, but they are socially predisposed to coronavirus exposure and to have a higher incidence of the very diseases that put you at risk for severe complications of coronavirus. Stay at home if possible. If you must go out, maintain six feet of distance between you and everyone else, and wear a mask if you're going to be within six feet of others. Wash your hands more often than you ever dreamed possible. Avoid alcohol, tobacco, and drugs. And call your friends and family, check in on your mother. She wants to hear from you right now. And speaking of mothers, we need you to do this, if not for yourself, then for your abuela. Do it for your granddaddy. Do it for your big mama. Do it for your pop pop. We need you to understand, especially in communities of color, we need you to step up and help stop the spread so that we can protect those who are most vulnerable. All right, Captain. So, I get <laughs> <laughs> well, Mr. Mims took umbrage with it, and there were quite a few other people in social media that had a problem. Or, or were told that they had, there was a problem with his language. That when he went into kind of hold specifically, on, hold on. go ahead. Hold on. Did I miss something? I say sometimes I don't hear what's supposed to go on. Sometimes my skin is real tough too. So a lot of things that's supposed to make me upset does not just roll right off. I don't even it doesn't um, register. So maybe I missed something. I'm open to that. Maybe I missed something. Continue, sir. Well, he he allegedly spoke in a language that some might consider to be stereotypical and specific to a certain group of people. So, you know, abuela is Spanish for grandmother. Um, yeah, big, ma- big mama is a colloquialism, maybe a stereotype that black people refer to their mothers or grandmothers as mama. Okay. Uh, okay. I don't look. That's a reality, though. <laughs> that is a that yeah. is a reality. I call my I call my grandmother Mama. Mm-hmm. This is this is this is it. I call my so, Mama. <laughs> but he but he says, well, you know what? Look, I think white people call their parents Ma- Mama and yeah. Daddy or Dada or whatever. I mean, it, it's not somehow he said something in a certain way that rang disrespectful in, in that setting. He's really what he was really trying. He was really trying to hone in on black people because the numbers are starting to not be in yes. our favor. Yes. 
So I, I, as I told you at the top of the show, told our audience that once I saw that the Atlantic was highlighting this issue, I said, okay, Dr. McWhorter must be weighing in on this thing. And lo and behold, it was him. Anytime there's a matter of race and language, he's that guy. He's a linguist. So um, I'm going to read a little bit of, what, of how he unpacks this issue, and, and I suspect – like how you are looking at this thing, when you listen to what he was saying, I didn't really, I, excuse me, I'm just not that, I don't see what he said which was so harmful or really disrespectful, considering it's black people in some of the lower regions in our country, some of the people that are having these issues, I spoke about them before, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily structural racism all the time, I think these people aren't, listen, aren't listening to instruction, from what I saw in video, People are dancing naked. <laughs> they're partying. They're in the projects. They're in close proximity. No one's wearing any kind of protection. Uh, you can put on you can put on plastic plastic bags on your hands. You can put a cloth or a makeshift cloth around your mouth. It doesn't have to be some major uh, personal protective equipment. It doesn't have to be PPE. Any kind of barrier between yourself and the, the potential for disease, you can put together for nothing. Anyway, let me read this piece on the Atlantic from the great Dr. McWhorter, and you tell me. Let's give full you – know, look, people are entitled to disagree with us, Captain. I will, I will repeat, and I, I suspect as you inferred, I heard what the man said. I'm just not that out of pocket with it. I'm not really – I don't get it. I'm not really – I don't see where the problem is, but I'm being told there's a problem. Anyway, it says uh, – the piece says, the Surgeon General meets the language police. Jerome Adams acknowledged the vulnerability of people of color, but ran afoul of, per, ran afoul of a powerful ideology. Surgeon General Jerome Adams is on the hot plate. His sin, with new indications that the coronavirus is, is disproportionately killing black and brown people, he, he suggested that we refrain from alcohol and cigarettes. Adams is aware that the virus often preys on people with pre-existing conditions worries that people of color harbor them disproportionately, and knows that, ex- that entrenched inequality plays a major role in that. The chronic burden of medical ills, Adams said at a White House briefing Friday, is likely to make people of color especially less resilient to the ravages of COVID-19. And it is possibly, in fact, likely that the burden of social ills is likely contributing. In the here and now, however, he suggested some changes of habit. Do it for your abuela, he, warmed, er, he warmly urged. Do it for your granddaddy. Do it for your big mama. Do it for your papa. Pressed on this language by the PBS NewsHour correspondent Yamichi, Yamichi Alcindor, the Surgeon General, who is black and said he has Latinos among his extended, extended relatives, explained that he uses the same terms within his own family. When Alcindor tweeted out his comments urging people of color to step up, she wrote, Some will find this language offensive. And the off-the-charts response provided ample confirmation of that. This is rhetoric steeped in racism, Rolling Stone's Jamil Smith tweeted. The nonprofit executive, Rashad Robinson, accused the Surgeon General of blaming black people for the consequences of systemic, preju- of systemic prejudice. 
They and other blue check commentators were appalled that Adams had had the nerve to urge people of color to change their behavior rather than resting with his acknowledgement that societal inequality exposes them to more risk from the virus. The question is, the question is why this is considered such a transgression. Over the past two weeks, countless reporters and commentators have, have documented that COVID-19 is hitting black people harder in many areas nationwide and that this is because of entrenched race-based disparities in our society. Why then is it so appalling that Adams did not flag this as his main message when the message has been made so resonantly clear elsewhere? Now, I'll close out on this. Members of a certain highly educated cohort consider it sacrosanct, sacrosanct, pardon me, that those speaking for, for, for or to black people always and eternally stress structural flaws in America's social political fabric, past and present, as a cause of black ills. To mention that there are more concrete and local solutions to various things ailing black America, regardless of their origin, is traitorous, even blasphemous. Let me repeat what he says here. To mention that there are more concrete and local solutions to various things ailing black America, regardless of their origin, is traitorous, even blasphemous. Okay, I'm going to leave it at there. I'll leave it at that. Again, folks, check out the New Atlantic piece by Dr. John McHorder. What are, you, what are your thoughts about what he was saying right here about this whole deal? You see, I pick my battles. I'm that dude, man. Certain places I'm not going to die on that mountain. Now, Peter went, niggas, you need to, something like that. <laughs> now I'm going to go fight with you. <laughs> you know that? That's a fight. That might be appropriate to get the nogs working. Go ahead. Might be appropriate. I, I will fight with you. I'm gonna, might be after. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to war with you. Might be after approved. I'm gonna go to war with you. I'm gonna go to war with you, for you. But that's not what he did to me. So a lot of this stuff that happens here in society, at times I don't really get, man. I don't really get. You know, I say maybe I'm I miss it, man. I, and I also understand that. I'm not that sensitive. I understand sometimes I'm not gonna get it. And far as I'm concerned, what he said, I'm like, eh. Next, what else you got? You know, say that's how I am. You understand? I'm not there yet. I'm not there with that as of yet. I'm not there with where uh, every time somebody says something, I'm ready to jump. I'm not that guy. You know what he said? What? I didn't get that one from him. I didn't get it. I'm that guy. You got to go right there direct with me. I'm like, okay. Niggas love to not know. And within this COVID, you know, if we're being truthful, some things you're not doing. You understand? I went to the doctor not too long ago. They said my arteries are like a 30-year-old. They're just totally clear. And the reality, the reason behind that, I don't eat the same foods. That a lot of Americans eat, you know, the McDonald's, the Burger King, every day. These things can't be arteries. Preventable, 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 preventable. There you go, preventable, you see? Take a little bit of responsibility. Anytime you say take a little bit of responsibility for the black that can, you understand? 
oh, you don't understand what's going on, systematic racism, this, that, and all, and the third. Come on, man. Some of, this, some of this we have to own. Some, not most, some of it you have to own, which would save lives, bottom line. Back over to you, Afternoon. Yeah, you know, uh, just like what I said during the last po- podcast, talking about your predecessor, Mr. Starks, a.k.a. Iron Man, how he is – he is moving around with folks of color and seeing passively what they're picking up during this pandemic, what they're picking up to take home to eat, and they are actively neglecting some of the fruits and vegetables in their purview. Even myself, today, I had a kind of an unusual combination, but I, I felt you know, it was a healthy thing. I had apples and tomatoes. In one sitting, like for lunch, I had apples and tomatoes and water, and I, it tasted. It, I tasted good. It was. It was. It was to my palate, you know. But the. But I, instead of having potato chips, uh, or some onion potato chips, or some, uh, some some, you know, overindulged sandwich, mayonnaise filled oily sandwich, I had apples and tomatoes, fruits and vegetables. Um, I saw this too. I saw people that were picking up all kinds of treats and sugary snacks, and and it, having a preponderance of that in your diet makes you less able to battle COVID if you should get it. But at the same time, I'm not even seeing the protection in place. I'm not seeing people practicing social distancing. They're angry if you tell them to stay away, and they're angry if you don't stay away. It's a catch-22. I'm hearing some, some – uh, you might have heard about this local story, Captain. There was an elderly woman. I believe she tripped or something. It was a mistake. She tripped on some young woman who was you know, younger, like a 30-year-old. She snapped elderly woman because she did not practice social distancing. I think the poor woman just kind of tripped or something. It wasn't that major. I mean, you know – but she was affected by an accident or a mishap, and she punched the physically had an altercation, killing that woman. And then, meanwhile, it, it, uh, there's people angry. If you don't do it, if you do do it, you're angry. If you don't do it, you're angry. People are just angry. But I think what he was saying, as far as what um, what Jerome Adams is talking about, I, I, I'm kind of I just I just don't. We're being directed to be angry. Look at this. You're supposed to be angry about this. And then we follow the script. I think we're, many of us are following the script to be angry as opposed to actually listening to what this person said. So, he's, cool. so, he's, so he spoke colloquially. I mean, look, as a black person, see, that's another thing, too. Like, I don't know if, I've, I, don't know if, I've, if I would have even been angry if a white person went into that kind of cadence, to be honest with you. I don't know if a white per if I if I would have been angry, okay. But he's of the community, so if it's a, if he's a person of the community le- using that language, I don't know what the problem is. But you don't have any problems with Snoop Dogg or any of these other people <laughs> speaking in a certain language, except except if he calls out your womanhood, which we saw a couple of weeks ago. Then there's an issue, okay. But we've gone through forty years. Of doggerel language, 
up until the point you you have eight eight a.m. rap records talking about purple drink and and Kush and alcohol eight o'clock in the morning. You don't have a problem with that. You're not calling that out. That's part of the course. That's condition. That's normal. A black man trying to save your life, telling you things you need, you really need to be doing, life or death. You want to call him out. The nogs, the minstrels, you're not calling them out for using worse language repeatedly towards your community. So this is where I, I don't have I don't have an opinion. I can't I can't I can't be I can't have an opinion on this because we've gone through decades of black people speaking negatively and using stereotypes about black people and you say nothing. Worse. Worse. That's it, Captain. We got about three minutes remaining. Any other closing thoughts? I'm thinking I'm going to close out here, and we'll revisit this on Wednesday or revisit some other topical data. Any other thoughts? Any other parting shots? Sometimes I just don't get it. It's like you don't get man feet. <laughs> I'll never get that. <laughs> Triple E wide, wide, not D like everybody else. Wide. Triple E. You don't get it. <laughs> You gotta ask Mr. Gillum about that kind of stuff. He'll be able to write a discourse on that. I can't get that. I'm kind of lost on it. Anyway, folks, it's been an absolute pleasure. We'll be back at it again on Wednesday's broadcast. Bear with us. You know what, Captain? I'm not really sure if we'll be able to do a show on Wednesday because I have to do some testing, and it already took us several hours to get through it. So we might have to do this. We might have to call it for this week. Um, I'll let you know, but I know for sure I'm doing testing on this new platform for Wednesday. So you know, Friday show, we ain't doing anything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah maybe Friday. Maybe Friday we'll do. Uh, let's let's table it for Friday. We'll come back, yeah. folks. We'll let we'll let you know. Anyway, uh, absolute pleasure. Going out with some Mavis Staples, Jaguar. You know who the production is on this. You know who the producer on this on is. I don't have to tell you who he is. Uh, Jaguar, Mavis Staples. Let's, t- let's try it for Friday, Captain. Appreciate it. Okay.